Have you ever noticed how being church is easier when you are on retreat? If you have been on a church retreat before, maybe you have experienced it. Uh, we tend to do better at living out oneness in Christ just as long as we don't have to be around too many Christians at any given time, right? Uh, the song became popular, I remember, when I was in high school and would go down to Epworth by the Sea for youth retreat, and we would link arms to shoulders and form a big circle, almost like Whoville, you know, and we would sway to the singing, and I could not help but grab my guitar and bring it this morning. Yeah. And we would sing together. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. Wait a minute. Y'all are supposed to sing with me now. Okay, come on. Some of you were. Okay, good. We got it going. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. What a beautiful thought. And when you're on retreat, that is an easy thing to do. But when you come home, there is something about it that we can't quite put our finger on that just is so difficult to make happen. To be church at home just doesn't feel the same. The question that we should ask ourselves continually is how can we be church in a very real world. Paul was writing the church. In fact, as he was communicating with these very committed followers of Christ, he was sort of preaching to the choir because there was, there was this sense in which he was talking to those who already knew, who already very, very well knew what this calling was about. It was a sacrificial calling. But even they were beginning to forget. Whenever they were left to themselves, they would forget. And so he gives to them these 30 imperatives that are linked one with each other in order to share with them what the marks of true Christianity might be. Randall was that adopted child. We've been talking about the television show, This Is Us. And he was the third that completed the triplets. You remember, as the story began, we talked about this, that there were three babies, but one was stillborn. It just so happened that Randall had been deposited as an infant on the steps of the fire department. And one of the firemen brought Randall to the hospital. It happened to be on the very same night that these other babies were born. The father of the other babies felt this was an opportunity, even sent from God perhaps, that would somehow heal the brokenness within their family at the loss of one of the triplets. 
And so Randall became a part of this new family. It did not mean that everything was fixed. It meant that it was just the beginning of the story of Randall's life. For Randall, and this I should give spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert with this, but Randall spends his childhood ever in search of his biological father. As you can imagine, that he had this passion to know who were his parents, who were, who were his parents in the beginning. Even though he loved the family into which he had uh, been deposited, he wanted to know who his blood kin were there. And so, Without anyone knowing, he was making lists whenever he was in a group of people. He would make lists of persons that he thought would be possibly his father. He was driven by this all of his life until when, as a young man, he decided that he would truly go on an adventure to find out who his father was, and he found his father. And his father was recuperating in a home for addicts and answered the door one day and Randall just said to him, he didn't expect anything, he just had to tell him what he felt. And so he mouthed off at his father and got it off his chest, he thought, until he realized that really there was something that connected the two of them that he didn't want to let loose of. And he began to learn what genuine love was like in relationship to another individual whom he had to work at to love. I was in a cemetery at a graveside service not long ago, and it was fascinating that a butterfly made his way into our gathering, a beautiful butterfly that began to first circle where we were gathered and then began to move across to collect nectar um, in that cemetery. Uh, You can imagine how beautiful the cemetery was and how impossible the task of the butterfly. (laughs) For there were colorful flowers everywhere, but every place that the butterfly went It was to dip his tongue into artificial flowers, okay? I felt like shooing the butterfly away from the cemetery because there was no good that was going to come from his day spent there. One flower after another that he looked at in hopes. I've thought about how people might come to see the church. Occasionally someone will wander in And sometimes the church, very sadly, will show to them that we're not as genuine as we thought we might be. And we might confirm to them that in their mind, God's love really is artificial. Do you see how dangerous this is? That someone would come seeking something that is very, very real, very genuine, and not be able to find that in our midst. I know you're working against this and that you're embracing the idea that what we do, what we do has this 
grave impact upon other people's lives as we seek to find what is genuine and impart that to others. Genuine love is the very essence of what true Christian community is about. It is koinonia. I'm not sure that Fred Phelps ever understood this, and some of you will know the name immediately. When I say Fred Phelps, some of you may not remember that Fred Phelps died three years ago. He was the pastor of Westboro Baptist Church out in Topeka, Kansas. I should do an erasure on the name Baptist because Westboro gives Baptists a bad name. And believe me, I am grateful that not all Baptists are anything like Westboro Baptist Church. Fred Phelps collected mostly his family around him. But he did have church there. But church in a very ugly, even sick way. That he paraded across this nation as often as he could, getting not only his followers, but many others that connected themselves with hate to hold placards up, hateful placards in places where healing should be going on, very hateful messages claiming that God and his wrath would send certain folks surely to hell. Can you see how very different this is? than the message that Paul is calling the early church to and that Jesus Christ himself represented. Surely here in these words, the apostle Paul says, hate what is evil, but if you cannot hear that in the very same breath, he is saying, hold fast to what is good, you've completely missed the point. You and I are called to be the very epitome in our world of what love is all about. How could we ever, ever lean toward making anything that is about Christ and for Christ to be artificial? You and I must be very purposeful about being genuine. There are many definitions of what it means to be Christian, obviously. So what is the truth? What are the marks of being truly Christian? Paul gives us a to-do list. He makes it very, very clear as to what it means to be genuinely Christ's people of love. And he says, hold fast to what is good, love one another, with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, but be ardent in spirit. I have to switch over to this wonderful translation that Sandy was using for us this morning to make that clear what I've just said. 
Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. You got that one? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. These are very practical suggestions. When I use the words, the love chapter, you know what I'm referring to, don't you? First Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul spells it out and ends it with faith, hope, and love. These three abide, but the greatest of these is love. That is the love chapter number one. Mark that in your Bible if you haven't already. Okay? I am about to tell you what to write in the margins, and I am giving you permission to do this, of Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse nine. You have your preacher's permission to write in your Bible, okay? Write in it love chapter number two, okay? Love chapter number two. And remember this, for Paul is trying his best to help us understand these are marks of being a true Christian by processing everything through the light of Christ. And we are not on retreat here, but the song is so true So very true that, oh goodness, I'm grabbing my guitar again. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. 
Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love.